It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. That'll do it. And it's time for the Mark Miller Utah Jazz postgame show with your hosts, Jake Scott and the coach, Tim LaCoe. Jazz postgame, Jake Scott, Tyson Ewing in for Coach Lacombe tonight. The Jazz fall 122 to 114 to the Boston Celtics. And Tyson, thought the Jazz play hard. A lot of uh, what we talked about at the half, but when you have a player like Jason Tatum, who might be the best player in the league, go 12 of 17 and 5 of 8 from 3, score 39 points, grab 11 rebounds. It's going to be tough to win. Well, Locke spoke about this in the middle of the game when he talked about how Jason Tatum has an ability to just go off and it, and it, and it lasts for an extended period of time. And he believes, when he was talking about this, believes that this could potentially be one of those moments. I mean, he comes off a game against, we talked about it already, against the, uh, against the Bucks yesterday where he went for 40 points, 12 of 18 from the floor, and 8 of 10 from 3. And he rebounds tonight going 12 of 17. Again, very efficient, 5 of 8 from 3 with 39 points. So basically the exact same game, pretty much, just against a different opponent. And so when he's doing this, this Celtics team is so incredibly hard to beat, and he did it while Jalen Brown was, frankly, just not having a good game whatsoever, 12 points, 5 of 19 shooting, and they were still in control this entire game without two of their best players. Which is amazing. I mean, we'll talk about the depth, I'm sure, more going forward, and and certainly the top end. I mean, it's the reason with with Tatum and Brown, and and yeah, Brown maybe didn't have his quintessential game, but I don't think there's any doubt uh, to what kind of player that he can be, and when they both have it going, they're they're really tough to beat. I I think if it ends up with a Boston-Milwaukee series in the Eastern Conference, I think we can all count ourselves fortunate, because I think that's going to be a a really good one. And I really think that Boston, especially when you think about last year's playoffs, figured out a way to stop Giannis. And so that would be such a just such an intriguing storyline going into a uh, a potential series, depending on whatever type of series that might be. Of course, uh, Eastern Conference Finals would be the ideal uh, type of series that we'd like to see. But uh, I just feel as though Boston kind of has that, that edge in the sense that they know how to stop Giannis. I do feel they're... Uh, potentially the better defensive team as well. But, you know, like you said, regardless, that would be a very tasty Eastern Conference final. For the Jazz tonight, uh, they got 28 to lead the way from Talon Horton Tucker. I uh, did it on 9 of 21 shooting, 0 of 3 from 3, 10 of 10 at the line. He had 8 boards and 7 assists. I know you've uh, been waiting for that <laughs> regular season triple-double from a Jazz player. Uh, Talon has, has actually come close a couple of times this year, but uh, 3 assists and 2 boards away. I feel like we all have. I mean, really, I do. Obviously, I work m- more on the TV broadcast side of things for the uh, for the Jazz, and it feels as though that... That triple double is so so close, and like you said, Taylor Horton Tucker has come so very close. Uh, but I mean, to your point, it has been since 2008 when the Jazz played in Seattle that they had a last triple double. That is unbelievable. And just because you asked, and because I'm going to have it, I mean, there have been now 1,218 games played. Since the Utah Jazz last triple-double. And how about 1,159 total triple-doubles in the league since that day? Incredible. I, I, you can't make that up. Like, anytime I tell an opposing broadcaster that, they don't believe me. They just, they just really? That's their reaction almost every single time. It just, it's absurd. 
It seemed like assist numbers for the Jazz were a little bit of a different thing under Quinn Snyder. For sure. They didn't rack up as many assists, certainly one specific player during his run. It's kind of not how his offense worked. But, you know, you think you think back to Darren Williams, you think he would have might have had one uh, <laughs> since then, or a player like George Hill maybe would have would have had one. It's kind of funny that Boozer was the last one to get Boozer. it, right? It was, Carlos it was Booze. Uh, which is which is kind of funny, but yeah, it, Kelly Olenek came close once or twice this year. I mean, we've seen him come close, and actually, Ricky Rubio had one, but it was in the playoffs against yes. the Thunder, if I'm not mistaken. Is that that's right? correct? Yeah. Yep, and 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 really, I do know when when I was in a mode of, of of talking about that information with Jazz fans, a lot of people mentioned that it was Ricky Rubio being the last one. But with statistics in the NBA, you have two different uh, two different. Yep. Uh, Points, points here, the regular season and the playoffs. And so that's where the Jazz, it's been so long since February 13th, 2000, or 2008, since the last time they had a triple-double in the regular season. I guess I better make mention that, that that is really what it is. And it does seem like in the league, triple-doubles are much easier to come by For these sure. days, too. So you got to think that that's, that streak can't be too long. Uh, going on further. No, I I would 100% agree with you. Just because you asked me and because it's right in front of me, how about a total of 239 triple-doubles already this year, which is uh, a very, very high number. Russell Westbrook's not even getting very many of them, the guy that is Mr. Triple-Double. But, I mean, I mean, Again, to your point, so many triple-doubles have occurred, and none of them have been wearing a Jazz uniform since 2008. So Taylin with 28-8-7 tonight certainly had a nice nice second half. The Jazz got uh, 20-10 and from Walker Kessler. He had two assists and three blocks. In fact, you were telling me, and uh, the number slips my mind, how many double-doubles is that now for uh, for Walker? That's his 20th triple-double of the season. Or, excuse me, double-double. I was on a triple-double watch there, but uh, his his 20th double-double of the season which, I mean, again, kind of what I talked about in the pregame show that I think very, very few people expected Walker Kessler to have this type of season. And here we go, potentially the still of the draft right here in Walker Kessler. Well, rookie bigs just don't make immediate impact like this all that they often. They don't. And, I mean, speaking to your point, I mean, again, just because it's, it's, it's kind of my job for the, uh, for, yeah. for, for the TV side, I came up with a number earlier this year that a double-double with five blocks – uh, I think it was a total of five he had at that at whatever point this was. He was the first guy to do it since Yao Ming back in 2002. Just the, the, the first rookie. Yeah. And only Tim Duncan prior to that was the last one. So, I mean, the way he moves. Uh, I thought Will Hardy last game talked uh, about how they're trying to incorporate him more offensively and how he's been receptive to that. I mean, I think if he can get some touch on his shot, maybe extend his range a little bit. I mean, but outside of that, mm-hmm. I mean, he's been a great pick. He can defend the pick and roll. He can move. His lateral movement is is really good. I mean, it's it's a it's amazing how good he is so soon. To your point, Walker did knock down about a 15 footer in this game. So I mean, if he can he can continue to build that range. I mean, obviously he's the. He's not really the prototypical big that the league sees anymore, but if he can, like you said, if he can stretch that shot out a little bit, then he could potentially be close to that prototypical big. I don't expect him to ever be a three-point shooter, to be honest. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, but if he can at least extend that outside shot a little bit, become more of a threat from the mid-range, man, I tell you, the sky's the limit for him. I'll tell you what, if he can do what, you know, I I think Walker's a better player at the moment than Damian Jones, but Damian (laughs) Jones went one for one from three and hit that corner three, and he's actually been really good at that corner three since coming to the Jazz. If Walker actually could get to the point where he knocked down the corner three every once in a while, I think that that would be nice, but I'm with you. I don't think we're ever going to see him be... Sam Perkins out there. But, I, I mean, if, if he could <laughs> knock down a, a corner three every once in a while, that would be helpful. Uh, let's get now back to Boston. Hear from Jazz head coach Will Hardy. Really good team on the road. Um, you know, we talked with the team after the game about I totally believe in our competitiveness. I totally believe in our togetherness. I totally believe in our intent to play together and do what we want to do on both ends of the court. But when you play a really good team like that, it's always a very fine line. And we cut it to four at the end of the third quarter and then kind of botched two pick-and-roll coverages and Brogdon hit two threes, and then we lost track of Grant Williams on the next play, and they hit three threes in a row, and all of a sudden you're down 13 on the road at the end of the quarter, and it just it it feels different. Um, next thing you know, you're down 17, and 
in that moment, it's not that you're playing terrible basketball. It's we made a couple mistakes in a row and they made us pay. If they miss those shots, it doesn't feel the same, but that's a really good team. They're a very potent offense. They have a lot of weapons. Um, you know, Brogdon should be a candidate for six man of the year for sure. Like he's done incredible things for them and he's a tough cover. So, um, it's a it's a good moment for our team to recognize that it's never as far away as you think, but 48 minutes is a long time when you play a really good team on the road, and to be able to maintain focus and be able to snap back into focus when things go wrong, like something's going to go wrong in every game, but can we let a six-point run not become a 13-point run or a one botched pick and roll coverage not turn into multiple botched pick and roll coverages in a row um and that's where we are like it's about refining those little things it's about finding our our collective thinking as a team like in those moments like can we communicate on the court to each other we have a new group you know that second group that's out there at that moment in the game they haven't played a lot of minutes together they don't all know each other that well and so you know, those are the moments where you feel the newness of the group, like where we just don't have that connectivity yet uh, on a personal level or on the court, and that's something that we're working at. But um, I really was proud of the way that our guys fought. Obviously, 18 turnovers is too many. I felt like half of them, the ball just flew out of our hands. I don't know if we need to do more ball handling drills or get more of the, what is it, the working hands? Is that what they use on the court? Like, we should get some more of that. I don't know. Like, they're plays that are just odd. Like, the play right in front of our bench. Ochai's wide open for a three. Ball gets passed to him, just goes right through his hands out of bounds. Kelly lost one in the first half. Right through his hands out of bounds into the front row. Um, You know, those are just odd plays. So, you know, 18 turnovers is hard to overcome on the road, but um, you know we'll go back and try to figure out which turnovers we can learn from and which ones are just you know the ball flies out of our hands some. So um, on to the next game. Do you think that the Celtics represent what you guys, what you eventually want this to look like for, for you in this program? And if so, how do you get there? I mean, they're they're hunting a championship, and so in that way, absolutely, um, they're a team that's very high level on both ends of the floor they're a team that's very versatile like they can adjust they can play different lineups they can play with a spaced five they can play with a rolling five they can play a lot of smalls they can they've played lineups where you know grant williams is technically the five um so the the versatility on both ends of the court is something that we're definitely hunting as well so in that way yeah like that's the level we want to be at we we want to be a team that is actively hunting a championship and contending for a championship. And I really believe that's where we're headed. Um, we've got some really, really promising players in this program. I like the way that it feels every day. I like the the way that our guys carry themselves. I like the way that they train. I like the way that they talk to each other. I like the way that they're thinking. Um, you know, they're not just moving through this every day for fun um we're having a lot of fun along the way but they're they're trying to win and they're trying to get better so um yeah we want to be where they are when game gets chippy like that and your guys are you know, kind of talking back and forth what's your reaction to that as a coach are you happy about that just playing yeah. i'm i'm all for the fight um i'm not for fighting that's not what i said i said i'm all for the fight um you know, there's moments in sports where it is chippy and guys get tangled up and guys start chirping. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that our team doesn't back down. Obviously, can we do it and maintain focus and not have it turn into something that ends up costing you the game? I didn't think that it cost us the game today. Uh, but we've seen situations around the league where those incidents do ultimately cost you the game because multiple people get thrown out and you just kind of lose your cool totally. So um, I'm not disappointed by our team tonight at all. I thought they had backbone. They fought. They didn't back down. The game got chippy. Both teams were a little bit chippy. Nobody was dirty in any way. That's just a really hard-fought, competitive NBA game. Um you know, Chris gets thrown out of the game, but 
you know, as a as a player, I, I understand that sometimes the emotions get the best of you. You know, he didn't throw a punch. He didn't do anything outrageous. He just kept the talk going. Um, you know, the refs at that point had tightened the game up a lot. They had given a big warning to the whole gym, like everything after this is going to be a technical. And that's their job is to try to keep people safe at that point. Like the worst thing that can happen is a bench-clearing fight. So um, I understand the officials at that point were doing what they had to do to get everybody out of the gym safely, if that makes sense. All right, there you go. Jazz head coach Will Hardy has post-game comments to Jazz fall tonight to the Boston Celtics, 122-114. to With that, we will say goodnight to our network stations. Our next broadcast is coming your way on uh, Sunday afternoon. The Jazz will be in Brooklyn to take on the Nets. That game will tip off at 1.30. For those of you sticking around with us, we'll have more post-game sound for you. Coming up next, you are listening to Utah Jazz Basketball. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. The final horn has sounded. That'll do it. And it's time for the Mark Miller Utah Jazz postgame show with your hosts, Jake Scott and the coach, Tim LaCoe. Jazz postgame, Jake Scott, Tyson Ewing, nice to sit, uh, nice enough to sit in for Coach Lacombe tonight. Postgame is brought to you by our friends at Mark Miller Subaru and the My Subaru Is campaign. Real stories from real Mark Miller Subaru customers. Share your Subaru story for a chance to win prizes. Learn more and share Mark Miller Subaru.com. Jazz fall tonight at the Celtics, 122 to 114. Tyson, we just heard from Coach Hardy in the last segment. Uh, what stood out to you? Well, a couple of things. The first thing I, w- I want to kind of break down is the first thing he was talking about, which was that stretch in the third quarter where they really fell behind. They kind of kept it close. We talked about it at the half, about how they kept it relatively close. The largest lead for any team was seven in that first half, and it felt as though the, the Celtics got a little bit of confidence, specifically from beyond the three-point line. I mean, Jake, they hit eight three-pointers in the third quarter alone, and that's really what separated it. And I mean, really what he was was referring to is that a couple of missed shots by the Celtics would have kept the Jazz right there, really close in this game. But he was proud of the fight. Really, despite the 18 turnovers, he was he was really um, kind of hammering down on the 18 turnovers about how odd they were in the sense that they were just falling out of their hands, that there were so many plays in this game that he feels that there might be learning opportunities, but not quite sure what that is to this point, other than the fact that there were just so many opportunities for them that they just lost the ball out of their hands. And really, the second part was he was talking about kind of the chippiness in this game, and he was all for the fight, quote, all for the fight, not for the fighting. Um, I mean, really that, that he was kind of just continuing to talk about how moments in sports where that chippiness does occur, but he was happy that the team didn't back down and that they maintained focus and didn't allow those moments to cost them the game. Although, I don't, I don't know if at that point the game was really kind of out of out of reach for the Jazz anyway, but didn't allow those moments um, to really overtake them. He wasn't disappointed at all with the way that they, uh, with the way that they handled themselves, really hard fought, and just to competitive NBA game. I did think it was funny how he caught himself when he said uh, I like the fight. Well, not the not right. the fighting. No, not the, it was funny. Yeah, did yeah, did. That's not what I said. I didn't. I didn't like the. But but yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure he did, especially in a game where you could have just rolled over a little bit. No, they're going to keep their edge and keep fighting and, and trying to win. 
And uh, I'm sure a coach does like that. To your point about the turnovers, I'm sure a coach hates that. I mean, 18 is not a great number, and yet it's not even close to the worst number we've seen recently in sure. that department from the Jazz. It's just something that, you know, maybe it's younger players. Maybe it's the fact that a lot of the ball handling on this team was either traded away or is sitting on the sidelines dealing with uh, one injury or another. But, you know, even somebody like Taylor Horton Tucker, who's played so well recently, has had turnover issues sure. of his own. And he had four turnovers tonight, which is not great, but we've we've seen worse games from him uh, as well. But 18, I'm sure that just drives the coach bonkers, and that all you can do is say, well, we'll figure out some teaching moments, or, you know, some of those were, were fluky, but, you know, we talked about uh, Kelly Olenek and it going right through his hands. Well, he's got to ha- have his head on straight a little bit. Well, I tell you, one thing that I know Locke is very, uh, spe- specifically what he talks about on his broadcast a lot, he's, he he doesn't like to focus too much on the actual number, the turnovers. What he likes to look at are the live ball turnovers, right. basically the steals that the, that the other team gets that can uh, that can result into easy transition buckets. We all know that the Jazz have struggled uh, in transition this year. It's kind of been a problem for several years, but specifically this year they struggle in transition, and they had eight live ball turnovers in this game. Of course, um, eight, the 18 turnovers turned into 19 points off of turnovers for the Celtics. And, you know, again, kind of what Coach reiterated, you know, a couple of those moments, you hold on to the basketball a little bit better, you know, then it's going to completely shift what could potentially happen towards the end of the game. Just a couple of moments in this game, only an eight-point Point loss against a really great team, despite having two of their best players. But you know, just a couple of moments that if things would have changed just a little bit, then this game could have been in reach for Utah. Let's check out the Master of the Glass tonight, brought to you by Safe Light Auto Glass. Uh, proud to present this year's Master of the Glass Rebound Program. At the end of the regular season, Safe Light, <coughs> excuse me, Safe Light will donate five dollars to a charitable organization for each rebound secured by this year's team rebound leader. Tonight's Master of the Glass for the Jazz, Walker Kessler who had 10 rebounds to go along with his 20 points and three block shots. Uh, the Jazz actually out-rebounded the Celtics tonight 52-42, to including 13 uh, offensive rebounds. And honestly, if you're the Jazz, you've got you've to absolutely love that. You just didn't have enough to uh, overcome 39 points from Jason Tatum. Absolutely. I mean, Jason Tatum was the story of this game. We could talk about him game in and game out, but before I do, going back to your point, the fact that they did kind of control the glass, I mean, it kind of speaks to what Utah's trying to do, obviously. The one thing that you're going to hear when you hear uh, when you talk about rebounding is is, is is it's an effort stat. And it clearly shows kind of what we talked about to start this uh, to start the broadcast tonight, that the effort that the Jazz put in game in and game out is, is, is just tremendous. And so seeing numbers like this, seeing them being able to capitalize from their effort, actually have those numbers, 13 offensive rebounds, and, you know, may not not have turned into the second chance points they were hoping for. When you look at Boston, they looked like they capitalized on all their offensive rebounding opportunities. 10 offensive rebounds for Boston, 21 second chance points. And so that, again, kind of a, a, a key in this game as well for Utah. And then going back to, obviously, Jason Tatum, <laughs> I mean, 12 of 17 from the floor, 5 of 8 from 3. How do you stop it? Yeah. A guy with that length, you and I talked off air. I mean, he's 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 got a tremendous NBA body, and and he utilizes it so extremely well. And to your point, what you stated earlier, truly one of the best players in the league, no doubt. Uh, just a, an additional note on the rebounds: uh, Kelly Olynyk had eight, Taylor had eight, and Ochai had. Seven, so pretty good team rebounding for the Jazz tonight uh, as well. For the Celtics, uh, Blake Griffin had 12 boards. Jason Tatum had 11, as we talk about uh, Jason Tatum's nearly perfect game tonight to go along with those 39 points. All right, the Jazz fall 122 to 114 to the Boston Celtics. Uh, Post game is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru and the My Subaru Is campaign. Real stories from real Mark Miller Subaru customers. Subaru owners are diverse and each has a unique store to share, read some, and share your own. And My Subaru Is. Dot com. We'll have player sound for you coming up next. You are listening to Utah Jazz Basketball. The final box score is printed. Jake Scott and the coach Tim Lacombe are breaking down how it all happened on the Mark Miller Utah Jazz postgame show. Oh, my. Jazz postgame. Jake Scott, Tyson Ewing in tonight. 
for our good friend, Coach Tim Lacombe. Post game brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru and the My Subaru Is campaign. Real stories from real Mark Miller Subaru customers. Share your Subaru story for a chance to win prizes. Learn more and share MarkMillerSubaru.com. Jazz fall tonight, 122 to 114. We'll hopefully get you uh, some player sound coming up here momentarily. But uh, you and I were talking off the air, Tyson, and you're a stats guy. You like digging this stuff up. 51 uh, three point uh, three pointers attempted by Boston tonight is what uh, the second most this year allowed by the Jazz. Look at that! Yeah, am yes. I remembering? Yeah, and, and you are remembering if, that if correctly. Memory, memory serves the other team yeah. was uh, Boston. Correct. <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> so I mean, David did make mention throughout the game that the Celtics are a three point shooting team. They're not a team that's going to attack the paint very much. I mean, the, uh, the Celtics still did a great job of getting into the paint and finishing around the rim. Still finished with forty six points. Utah. Had 68 points in the paint. Probably just took a little feature from me there. But either way, um, the uh, the Jazz have allowed the second most three-point attempts in this game. 52 was the uh, is the highest of the season so far. That happened just about a week and a half ago, the Sacramento Kings. But, uh, but prior to that, 51 three-point uh, three attempts by the Celtics back on the 18th of March. And here tonight, 51 three-point attempts again um, for the Celtics. And so obviously the Celtics, that's kind of their bread and butter. That's what they're looking to do. And they're extremely efficient. I mean, 17 of 51, yeah, I think if you're a Celtics fan, you'll take that every single night. Does it give you pause that they're so dependent on the three. They're second in the league in three-point attempts, second in the league in three-pointers made, shooting almost 38%, which is which is terrific, but in the playoffs when that comes and goes sometimes. I think we saw with the, the last uh, rendition of the Jazz, the last run, the Donovan, Rudy, Boyan, that, that era where they were so effective and so good at making threes, when that would leave Sometimes it got a little rough. Any concern about that in your mind with the Celtics? That's a great question. I would probably say if if I have any concern, it's who's taking them. And as I look over the stat sheet, you can probably see it too. The guy that took the most three-point attempts was the guy that they probably don't want taking the most three-point attempts, and that's Marcus Smart. Four of 13 from three. And so if I'm a... If I'm the coach, I'm thinking, I don't want this guy shooting all the threes. Let's figure out ways to get Jason yeah. Tatum more involved. But again, I mean, not not having Williams in this game, not having Horford, but Horford obviously is a great three-point shooter in, uh, in his own right. Um, but because they have so many shooters, it's hard to say... Uh, it's hard to say no to that just because I feel like they just have so much depth and uh, really to be able to knock down threes. I mean, Jason, uh, Jalen Tatum, excuse me, Jalen Brown uh, was 0 for 5 from 3. He's a guy that can knock it down at will. Jason Tatum's obviously great. Um, and then you think specifically about White, Smart, Brogdon, Cornette can knock down threes, Grant Williams a great three-point shooter, Mike Muscala I think is a little bit of an underrated um, pickup for them who can come in and give them a couple minutes and knock down some threes and then that, that's not even talking about Hauser who can hit threes as well, this whole roster from top to bottom, maybe despite uh, Williams who comes in um, and really plays that post, is the only one that I really wouldn't want shooting many threes so, tough one, tough one but I would simply say, but be, uh, because of their, their depth from the three-point line I would still allow them to shoot 50 a game. Let's get back to Boston. Time to hear from Walker Kessler. So, and we were, you know, both teams were battling, so you know, got a little, little heated a little bit. With the emotions being so high, how do you continue to maintain focus? I mean, I, I'm, with me, I don't really get, you know, too, too caught into it. Um, you know, just try to focus on what you're doing, try to focus on winning the game because that's the goal at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, letting your, your actions speak louder than your words. I mean, that's how I think. Now, you know, I do think, you know, trash talk does belong in the game. I'm just, I'm not very good at it, so I try to stay away from it. <laughs> What's going to happen over the last five games of the season? You know, you've got a week and a half left to go. Just from an individual point of view, what do you, what are you kind of shooting for? You know, I think for me, just continuing to try to win the game. You know, like I've always said, um, you know, the rest of it kind of takes care of itself as far as my individual performance. So just continuing to do whatever I can to, to win. All right, there you go. Walker Kessler, interesting to get his take on uh, on trash talking. He said that it's part of the game, Tyson. He's just not very good at it. I completely would understand that. I mean, he just he doesn't seem like the type of guy that would be uh, much of a trash talker. Uh, he's just... He's just a big teddy bear out there. He's 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 one of the nicest guys that you'll uh, that you'll find, and uh, you know I can I can see why he'd say he's not very good at trash talking. Well, he's kind of a goof. He is you know, a bit of a goof. He's funny. 
Absolutely. You know, listening to all his his post games throughout the season, you know, he's he's funny and he's a bit of a goof. I don't know, but but then again, Joe Ingles was a bit of a, of a goof, and he was a really good trash talker. So who knows? Maybe that'll be something Walker can hone. An interesting thought as he gets a little bit uh, more cred. Maybe either way, it's tough for a rookie to be a trash. I can, like, if you're a rookie, just going to say that. Get out there and really run your mouth at all. <laughs> Come on, we're just going to say okay, whatever, rook, and then move on, right? There's only a handful of rookies that. I think can even back that up and you know and and have the ability to trash talk very well so give it a couple years like you said yeah. we'll see if down the road walker kessler becomes more of a trash talker yeah when when joe just signed on with the jazz and was just trying to fight it you know find his <laughs> spot i don't know how much trash he was talking out there right probably not very much yeah exactly but he gets on you know solidified in the rotation and in the starting lineup every once in a while and next thing you know he's in uh, Paul George's oh. ear in a playoff series. So, oh, I love that series. Man, that series. Well, and not to get too sidetracked, sure. I suppose, but uh, that season, the way that they came back to make the playoffs in the first place was remarkable. I mean, they were nine games out in January, and then to beat that Oklahoma City team and, and uh, you know, I don't want to say beat them handily in the playoffs, but it didn't go seven games. No. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to this job that I have with the Jazz. I was sitting courtside for that, um, for all three games of those series. And, man, to be able to see that up close and personal and see that trash talking occurring between those two, it was great. It was great stuff. Post game brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru and the My Subaru Is campaign. Real stories from real Mark Miller Subaru customers. Subaru owners are diverse and each has a unique story to share. Read some and share your own at mysubaruis.com. We'll get more of Tyson's thoughts coming up next as Jazz fall to the Celtics tonight, 122 to 114. You are listening to Utah Jazz Basketball. Brought to you by Ch- Wow! The outcome is in the books. Let's get to the reaction. Hear from the coaches, the players, as well as the coach, Tim Lacombe. It's the Mark Miller Utah Jazz Postgame Show. Here's Jake Scott. Jazz Postgame, Jake Scott, Tyson Ewing in for Coach Lacombe tonight. The Jazz fall to the Celtics 122 Two one fourteen. Uh, Tyson, let's uh, check out the Chick Fil A foul shot review of the game. Download a whole new way to Chick Fil A. Earn rewards with the Chick Fil A One app uh, tonight from the line. And, and tonight was was a funny game mm-hmm. as far as free throws go for the Jazz. But they were thirteen of fourteen as a team. Taylor Horton Tucker took ten of those fourteen three thro- free throws. He was ten of ten. Uh, the Celtics on the game were uh, twenty one of twenty two. Jason Tatum himself was uh, was ten of eleven. But uh, the Jazz didn't get their first free throws until... About the six-minute mark of the third quarter. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's that's pretty amazing, actually. The fact that they ended up taking 14 is pretty remarkable as well because they only had, at the end of the third quarter, going into that fourth quarter, they had only attempted two total free throws and, like I said, came about the six-minute yeah. mark. And so, uh, you know, obviously, very, very strange game. You were able to hear it if you were listening to Locke throughout the game. Obviously, the officiating was a little questionable throughout the night, but, you know, only only two free throws through the first, you know, uh, what I mean, what would that be? Thirty-six minutes of play. Just you don't hear about that very much in uh, in the league anymore. Well, it felt to me, and obviously I'm an amateur eye, but it felt to me like they let everything go in this game up until the fourth quarter, when all of a sudden the the Tony brothers and the rest of the crew thought, "Boy, this is this is getting a little out right. of hand." And then, as we've seen so many times with referees, they overcorrect, and then it actually makes the the situation get worse, not better. And then we see technical fouls galore. We saw one on Blake Griffin. We saw one on Jason Tatum. And we saw Chris Dunn get two. And it it was not, this was not a well-officiated game. And to go from let everything go to, uh, hey, guys, why is it getting out of hand? And then overcorrecting, I, I think, had a negative impact. I don't think the Jazz would have won tonight right. with a different officiating crew, per se. It didn't cost them the Absolutely game. Absolutely not. But it was not well officiated. Well, to, I mean, to speak to your point again, there was only the two free throws through the first 36 minutes of play. The Celtics only had committed six total fouls through those first three quarters. They ended up committing a total in this game of 14, which meant they had eight total fouls in the fourth quarter alone, or in the first 36 minutes, only committing six. And and that kind of goes back to what you know every single person is looking for in officiating crews, and that is just be consistent. And and I didn't feel there was 
any consistency in this game when you're going from such drastic numbers, six in the first 36 minutes and eight in the final 12. Like that is, that's, that's not, that's, that's just not how you should be officiating a game, in my opinion. Well, it was consistently bad. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was, that was uh, uh, the low-hanging fruit joke right there, but it, it wasn't great. And, and it made the end of the game not great. If anything, it made it clunky, and obviously the players didn't appreciate it very much. And, uh, I, you, you know, Blake Griffin, <laughs> Blake Griffin had an interesting run there where it, it was not a bad call when he got absolutely uh, run over by Taylor Horton Tucker because Marcus Smart pushed him into... Blake Griffin and Marcus got called for the foul and that was deserved. But then Walker Kessler ran him over <laughs> like a possession later. And you and I were kind of trying to look and see if he was in the restricted area or not. And, and it was really close. <laughs> but Blake obviously didn't think he was. And and that's when he picked up that technical foul because he was he was upset. He thought, how many times do I have to get run over out here? And he's giving up foul shots left and right. Oh, yeah. It certainly looked like at times there were there were some massive mammoth hits in this game, specifically from Taylor Horton Tucker when we talked with Locke and Boone about that, that one where he knocked him right in the chest. Man, I tell you, I if there's one guy in the league I wouldn't want to be trucked by, it's probably going to be Taylor Horton Tucker. It might Tucker. be because he's, he's like a bowling ball. Ugh. I mean, got to... But anyway, Blake was still holding his chest when oh, he got up. Yeah, yeah after right. the play stoppage, <laughs> if you if you saw it on TV in, in the replays where he is saying you can read his lift, he's saying, "Oh my God, my chest!" <laughs> it's not funny, but he's holding his chest because he just got absolutely uh, barreled into. So you say it's not funny, but it is kind of funny. You know what I mean? It is. It is a little <laughs> funny if you're not Blake Griffin, and then to get hit again by Walker Kessler a couple <laughs> possessions later, not. Uh, uh, but then, uh, but uh, Taylor got uh, tied up with Jalen Brown down on one end yep. of uh, end of the floor. I mean, just you know, if you if you're consistent, uh, you know, to your point about the officiating and and call a foul a foul and and try and do that consistently all the way through. You hope it doesn't spin out of control like that. Uh, not that I'm placing any blame whatsoever. I mean, I guess I might be, but I mean, please by all means, <laughs> it's Friday night. It's, it's all right. <laughs> the officials allowed that to happen, in my opinion, because of the really because of how the game was officiated and how it was not consistent when that fourth quarter occurred. All these fouls started occurring, and I mean, off the air, you were talking about how this, how how the flow of the game it just kept going and kept going. For a moment, we thought it'd be like a two-hour game, yeah. and then and, and then the fourth quarter hit, and the officials just let it. They were at uh, to your point. You said overcorrecting their calls. That's exactly what they were doing, and they allowed that to happen. They allowed the cheapiness to occur between those players. They allowed those technical fouls to happen, and you know, just trying to keep consistency could potentially halt. That from occurring. Let's check uh, check out the three point feature brought to you by Pura, the possibility of scent. Uh, tonight from three, the Jazz were nine of twenty nine, just thirty one percent. Let's see here. They were led by they had a bunch of guys make two threes tonight. Uh, Fontecchio was two of eight. Uh, Ochai was uh, two for six. Johnny Juzang was uh, two for five. Boston, on the other hand, uh, they were 17 of 51 from three tonight, 33%, which isn't a terrific percentage as a team, obviously, but Jason Tatum himself was five of eight. And Jalen Brown just didn't shoot mm-hmm. the ball well tonight. He was 0 for five. That obviously isn't the norm. I thought you very astutely pointed out earlier in the show that Marcus Smart taking 13 yep. is not ideal for the Celtics. He was four of 13. But you know, I feel like that was by design from the Jazz. It felt like they were not getting out on Marcus Smart and he was taking the open threes. And I guess if you're going to give them to him, he's got to take them. But I feel like the Jazz, that that was actually something that they didn't hate about the box score, that he took 13. Oh, absolutely. If you're a Jazz fan, you're very pleased when you see 13. Maybe the four. I mean, I mean that's still shooting a relatively decent three-point percentage when you go four or 13. But, I mean, allowing him to take that many threes is definitely a win, which is, in my opinion, a large reason why this game stayed at least relatively close in Allowing the yeah. Jazz to at least stay, uh, you know, close to them. But you know, going back to your nine of twenty-nine that the Jazz shot, Locke mentioned.
mentioned it, 27th in the league since the All-Star break. And you can really see that those shooters that Utah has been so heavily reliant on over the last couple of years. I mean, I can think I mean, two years ago, you couldn't stop hearing from me about three-point numbers, about right. the amount of times they were hitting 10 or more threes in a game. And those days, they're, they're a little past right now. But they don't really have, you know, those knockdown shooters. Fontecchio is probably their best three-point shooter. We're seeing, you know, uh, Ochai Abaji kind of, kind of shooting it a lot better. Johnny Juzang, Abaji, and Fontecchio combining for what six of nineteen. Which those three players, when you look at a roster, shouldn't be your best three-point shooters. And right. so obviously Utah being at twenty-seventh in the league since the All-Star break at shooting those three-pointers, a lot of it has to do with simply they just don't have the shooters that they once had. No. I mean, well, Mike Conley was one of their better three-point shooters, traded away. Malik Beasley traded away. And then you look at Jordan Clarkson. Hasn't played much uh, since that uh, trade deadline dealing with that finger. And so, you know, that's a lot of firepower that's just not either on the team anymore or or not playing. And young guys, I think Ochai, and and you could probably throw Fontecchio into this too, I think Ochai is going to be a more than serviceable three-point shooter at the NBA level. As do I. And that's something I didn't expect coming into the season. Ochai was, you know, leading Kansas to the national championship last year, but it wasn't because of his three-point shot. It was his ability to get to the rim, ability to get to the free throw line, and score in in many different levels. It wasn't that three-point shot. And so if he's continuing to work on that, we've saw glimpses. I can think back to a fourth quarter this year where he hit four or five from the corner in the fourth quarter, and we just thought, oh my goodness. Like, if, 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 if this is something this kid can develop... Man, they've got something special in him, but he is still very young in his uh, in his development. But the fact that he's able to get you know uh, tonight thirty minutes on the floor, get that game experience. There's there's really no substitute for experience, and him being able to get these moments, get these moments on the floor, and 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 capitalize as well as he's capitalizing by you know getting those three point shots, knocking down those three point shots. It's 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 really only going to help him and help this team in the future. You you would think so. I think he has a. You know, we could debate about what his ceiling is, but I think the way he plays defense and if he can't continue to improve his shot, he's super athletic. I, I think he has a lot of great potential. And uh, Coach Hardy talked about this a few games ago, but there's no replication for the experience that he, and he was talking about Ochai specifically, is getting in these late games against great teams and even, you know, games the Jazz are pulling out and winning. You can't duplicate those sorts of things in practice and maybe you find out positives and negatives about guys right you know who who's able to to thrive in those situations who maybe need some work or who's not going to make it i mean it you're you're throwing guys right into the deep end and sink or swim and when when and this sounds bad but when wins aren't necessarily the most important thing you know these other things really can can matter a great deal and he's got a great NBA body too, six foot yeah. five. But I mean, he's just extremely muscular, and like you said, he's a great defender. He can be, kind of become. It's weird to say six foot five being a little on the smaller end, being a three and D type player. Yeah. But the fact that you know, like I mean, like I, like I just talked about leading Kansas to the national championship game, we saw his ability to, to to attack the rim. He has that ability, and so he has that athleticism. That six five frame again might be a little bit smaller on the three and D type prototype player. Um, but if, if if he can continue to develop, and I think this. Off season. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about the offseason right now, but this offseason could be massive for him. And obviously, we've seen the Jazz have a great developmental program to where potentially this kid could be extremely special. All right, post game is brought to you by our friends at Mark Miller Subaru and the My Subaru Is campaign. Real stories from real Mark Miller Subaru customers. Subaru owners are diverse and each has a unique story to share. Read some, share your own. My Subaru Is.com. Jazz fall to the Celtics tonight, 122 to 114. Coming up next. We'll put a bow on this one. We'll get uh, our play of the game as well. We have a good one tonight, Jamil. Uh, we're getting a, a pretty good from Jamil. So make sure and, and stay tuned for that. It's all straight ahead. You're listening to Utah Jazz Basketball. Running hook, blocked it. The final box score is printed. Jake Scott and the coach Tim Lacombe are breaking down how it all happened on the Mark Miller Utah Jazz postgame show. Oh, my Top to Brown. Jazz back within six. Brown driving on Abaji. Good little matchup for Ochai here. Steps through. Fades back. Misses. Blake Griffin tries to jam. Follow. Can't corral it. Jazz on the run. Have numbers. Bounce pass. Abaji to the rack. Takes the right hand and hammers. And the Jazz have cut it to four. 
Ojai Abaji with the rim rocker on the fast break. Great pass by Chris Dunn. His fifth assist of the night. Our dude David Locke. David had a bit of an edge to him tonight, didn't he? That was that was an edgy play of the game. Brought to you by Larry H. Miller Dealerships for service, sales, and selection. LHMauto.com, driven by you. Jazz post game, Jake Scott, Tyson Ewing in for Coach Comb tonight. Jazz fall to the Celtics, 122-114 to post game. Brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru and the My Subaru Is campaign. Real stories from real Mark Miller Subaru customers. Share your Subaru story for a chance to win prizes. Learn more and share. MarkMillerSubaru.com uh, We haven't talked a ton uh, tonight, Tyson, about uh, the guy who picked up the assist in our play of the game right there, Chris Dunn, who yeah. earned himself uh, an early ejection via two technicals, but had uh, 16 points. Locke mentioned had five assists. Uh, he must have had one taken away. I have uh, on his final box uh, four assists for Dunn tonight, but he also had four rebounds, eight of 13 shooting. For a guy that the Jazz signed uh, off the street, essentially, I know he's playing in the G League, uh, but originally to a 10-day contract, Man, is he good. Yeah. So good. What a find. I mean, it would not surprise me one bit if he found himself on the roster next year. He's been excellent. And I, I got to be honest, this is a guy, Chris Dunn, back, back when the Jazz were competing for you know top seeds in the playoffs, I always felt Chris Dunn would be a great fit in Utah. Good addition. Like, absolutely. I mean, he's... he's I mean, I'll just be frank. The Jazz at point guard had struggles defending, and 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 I'm sure you'll remember the Conley, the Donovan Mitchell years. I recall They're, them well. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> like they had struggles defending guards, and I always felt Chris Dunn would be a spectacular piece off the bench for the Jazz. And so I feel like, hey, Chris Dunn came to Utah, maybe a couple or uh, th- or three or four. Two or three years later, um, but I mean he's he's absolutely flourished, and you got to believe that you know he when when he signed this deal, he was looking for a little bit of redemption, obviously, and getting cut from teams and having to go to the G League, being able to have this uh, have this type of production that he's having. Oh, you know that not just the Jazz are looking at this, but he's he's also performing for 29 other teams as well to hopefully kind of get that confidence back in him and hopefully get a um, little bit of a long-term deal potentially in the offseason. Before arriving with the Jazz, uh, he was shooting 30.6% from three uh, over his career, 42.6% uh, from the field. For the Jazz this season, He's shooting in 16 games, 49.7% from the field. And this this is the big one, 41.4% from three. I mean, if he can keep that up, and that's a really high mark. I mean, if he didn't quite keep that up, I don't think anybody can blame him. But if he can, he can be an effective shooter like that, I mean, honestly, the sky's the limit for him because that's what was holding him back before. It shows that he's been working on his game a lot to try to get back there. Uh, I mean, he was he was very very highly touted when he came out of college as a player that could make a big difference on a roster. He went top ten in the draft, and you know, I, I I wouldn't say he's been a disappointment, but maybe he would say he's been a little bit of a disappointment for himself. And so to, and so to see him, you know, clearly put in the extra work, put in the extra effort, and then earn that ten day contract, you can absolutely say that he has earned himself an opportunity to sign. More of a long-term deal than just a ten-day contract. Totally agree. Uh, yeah, and he was good again tonight before he got you know thrown out of the game. Uh, if you're just joining us, running through a few of the stats uh, for the Jazz, uh, they were led by Taylor Horton Tucker tonight with 28 points, seven assists, eight rebounds for him as he continues to play well. 20 points, 10 boards for Walker Kessler. He also had three block shots. Uh, Simone Fontecchio had 12. Ochai Obaji with uh, with 12. And Chris Dunn, we were just talking about 16 points, four boards, four assists coming in off the bench on eight of 13 shooting. The Jazz as a team shot 48 percent from the field 31 percent from three uh for the celtics and, and really the story of the game tonight of course jason tatum uh just marvelous he's he's incredible 39 points on 12 of 17 shooting five of eight from three 10 of 11 at the line 11 boards three assists and three steals just for fun uh, let's see. Uh, also for the Celtics, Derek White added 17 points tonight. Uh, Marcus Smart had 14. Jalen Brown didn't shoot the ball well, but still had 12 points. Malcolm Brogdon and, uh, had 19 off the bench, 7 of 14 shooting, 7 assists, 3 boards. And Tyson, you talked to Locke and Boone about this. What a, what a great addition for them. I, I think Malcolm Brogdon, Malcolm Brogdon has been underrated since the day 
he uh, he stepped into the league, and I believe he was even rookie of the year. He was. So that's hard to say that he was underrated, but he was underrated, and uh, he's he's a great piece for them. I I love him coming off the bench on a on a playoff contending team. I was nervous when he signed with the Celtics as not really a Celtics hater, don't get me wrong, but as a team that already was exceptional and, and, and made a run to the NBA Finals last year. And that's why I wanted to get their opinion, because they were so heavily talking about uh, how great their depth is. And Malcolm Brogdon being that piece, I feel it could be a huge difference maker off the bench. I mean, I mean, no, I mean no disrespect to Derek White. I, I, I've... I've not really been a huge Derek White fan since he entered his, uh, since he entered into the league, but to be able to give um, Malcolm Brogdon some Derek White minutes, yeah, that's a big win if you're a Boston Celtics fan. Um, and so that's that's why I wanted to bring it up to them to get their opinion on Malcolm Brogdon because I think he could be a huge, huge key piece uh, come playoff time. Absolutely, especially he's in your second unit. Yeah, come in and beat up on the backups. Uh, you know, I like that matchup every night. And last year for Indiana, he was one of their top players, yep. and so top starter. He comes into the Celtics, he comes off the bench, and he leads that unit. So it's just I, I, really again, just speaking back to your point. I'm curious. I'm I'm really curious to see the Celtics team in the playoffs. It's going to be a fun playoff year in both conferences for different reasons. But to see the top of the East go head to head is going to be great because Boston sure. is 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 really really good. All right, we want to say a big thanks to everybody who helped out with the broadcast tonight. Uh, of course, Locke and Boone calling all of the action. Thanks to Mike Smith for jumping on with us in the pregame. Thanks to our broadcast assistants. Thanks to uh, Jamil Hawkins, executive producer of the Jazz Broadcast. Thanks to Mark Miller Subaru and the My Subaru Is campaign featuring real stories from real Mark Miller Subaru customers. Subaru owners are diverse and each has a unique story to share. Read some and share your own at MySubaruIs.com And uh, before I thank you, Tyson, for your great work tonight, uh, so much we, we're going to have you back on uh, on Sunday. Yes, but a, a special shout out uh, to a, a special group of listeners who is uh, traversing the Nevada desert at the moment, uh, tuning in. Uh-huh. That's right, and listening, <laughs> and uh, hopefully having a safe trip. Right? Yes, absolutely. My uh, my my wife and kids are are traveling right now on their way to Sacramento, and so. Uh, yes. Thanks for listening. They listened to the entire game. That's awesome. The entire game. So cool. Uh, we appreciate them listening and for everybody listening. And Tyson, thanks for filling in, dude. Tonight was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Your final. The Jazz fall to the Celtics tonight, 122 to 114. Next broadcast coming your way Sunday afternoon. The Jazz are going to be in Brooklyn to take on the Nets. Tip-off is at 1.30. Pre-game will be at 12.30. You have been listening to Utah Jazz Basketball. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.